because sex is so taboo, it's not talked about. It's not talked about how common it is. It's not talked about how many people have it. It's not talked about what it is, what it's not. And so people just go through life, like can't go forward. I got to withdraw and we self-sabotage. We create our own glass ceilings. I'm Alexa, and you're listening to That Sex Check, a Soulfire production. Alexandra Habushka's life was sent into upheaval when she received a call from her doctor diagnosing her with herpes. Shaking, feeling like her life, her goals, happiness, and desires had all just gone up in smoke. She was scared shitless. And she had a new mission to share her story with people just like her and to let them know that their feelings are normal, natural, and that they are not victims. With that mission in mind, she founded Life with Herpes, an online community consisting of a podcast, a website, a YouTube channel, along with wellness products to support the skin condition and an online community that provides support all dedicated to shattering the stigma of living with herpes. I know that y'all will enjoy today's very important episode of That Sex Chick. All right, fam. So we're going to have a convo today, me and Alexandra, and we're going to talk about a topic that I imagine a number of you are managing or are dealing with or are curious about, and that is herpes. And even as I go to say it, you know, I talk about STIs and I talk about herpes. And I just talk about all the things that come with having the sex. I talk about it all the time. So it just kind of rolls off my tongue. But the majority of the conversations, and that's because I'm talking about it all the time, but the majority of conversations that I'm having with people on the internet or people in my community spaces in real life, whenever we go to say the word herpes, it it goes herpes, you know, like, like, oh, we don't really want to talk about it. Or there's some level of like hesitation or it's like kind of they're hit with the stigma or, and, and I, and, you know, and I remember when I first got together with my husband, Jordan, he was so nervous because I, I was like, you know, when we were first connecting, I was like, if you want to play, you know, when we're first, first connecting, like dating, meeting for the first time. And I'm like, I don't know if you have any intention of being sexual with me, but if you want to be, I'm totally open to that. We just are going to be exchanging fresh, brand new testing. So that we know what's that we know what's going on, and he was terrified of something showing up, and especially herpes. And you know, we've spoken about this on a previous episode. He actually had chlamydia, which he was terrified to tell me, and I was like, "Oh, I have the antibiotics for that in my cabinet." So he got a lesson in how common chlamydia and gonorrhea are to get, and then also to get rid of. But then he was still kind of shaken up about like, well, "What if I have herpes?" And I'm like then we deal with it. Then it's then it's a manageable thing. And he'd never been partnered with anyone who was educated enough to be like, that's okay. That's huge. It's okay. So anyway, that's like a little bit of the backstory. And as I was sharing with you as before I hit record, I find it apropos that I'm going to record this episode with you, Alexandra. And I have a big fat fever blister, cold sore on my lip. And it's the first time in what feels like a million years. It's like they're making a comeback. I got them. I got them when I was a kid and I got them like maybe up to high school, maybe. And then they just disappeared. And I'm like, oh, I think, you know what? I think I got it together here. It's just, it's just like comfortably dormant. And now all of a sudden it's like, surprise, just in case you forgot about us, we're here still. Um, And so this virus is incredibly common and so many people have a lot of shame and guilt and stigma hold that inside of their bodies around it. And I think that's, it's time for that to go. So we're going to talk about it. Let's talk about it. With, with you telling your story about getting a big fever, blister, cold sore, herpes outbreak on your mouth, I have oral herpes as well. And I got it when I was 20 and went on a date. My date kissed me goodnight with a cold sore. So there I go. I get it. I didn't have another outbreak until I was 34 and it was the week before my wedding. So, you know, you may now kiss or kiss the bride or whatever. And I was like, oh man. So anyways, I understand what you're, cause it's, I forgot, like, even though I talked about having herpes, I'm like, I don't have this. I have oral herpes, but I don't have oral herpes. Like I don't deal with it. So I right. totally know what you're going through. Right. Totally. And, and I remember when I was a kid, it was like clockwork that I would get it the week of school pictures. Huh. 
Like I remember (laughs) that that was a thing because it was kind of at the front end of summer. So the, the heat just started and it was probably around the time when I was going out in the direct sun and I'm really fair. And so out in direct sun, the heat's picking up and bam, almost every time for class pictures that go on the school. And I've got my little pursed lips because I can't really smile and my little bowl cut. Anyway, what do you think? Like if so many people have this and have contracted it throughout their lives from a variety of Mm -hmm. places, why do you think it still has such a stigma around it? (sighs) I'm like, where do I begin? (laughs) So there's, as we know, sex is taboo. And the, any conversation around sex is taboo. And, and I really haven't found a culture that is where there's nothing there when we start talking about sex, right? So, so anything that has to do with sex and STD that is lifelong is something that's going to cause taboo. And we, we're talking about oral herpes, genital herpes. Oral herpes doesn't have the stigma as genital herpes. And the funny thing is, is it can be an STD. It can be sexually transmitted. Right now for our teens and our 20s, that demographic, they're getting the most HSV-1 down there. So because we're not educated in that, like, oh, I have this up here. And if I go down on someone or whatever and don't think about it, I can accidentally transmit this. So we have a lot of, and, and as you know, we're not educated in talking about safe sex. Everyone just says, oh, use the condom. You'll be fine. And that's completely false. Yeah, you might be, you know, but, but condoms are great for fluid based transmission, not skin to skin. So back to your initial question, why is it that, you know, herpes has such a stigma? It's because it's, it's, it's sexually transmitted, which, Ooh, you know, the word sex and, and it's lifelong. And what happened was in the eighties, I'm trying to think late, early eighties, late seventies around there, Valtrex, which is the antiviral came out. And so the, the company, the, the, the pharmaceutical company had to do what they could do to sell it. So they came up with the stigma. They did a fabulous job with creating the stigma because why did people need it all of a sudden? Right? So they made this huge stigma on genital herpes, genital herpes, gross. Ew, you need this. If you have herpes, you need this. You don't want people to know. So the stigma really came from genital herpes and and in the in the the pharmaceutical companies. I wonder right now I'm watching Yellowstone. I don't know if any of you guys have watched Yellowstone and there's like all these series. Um, yes, John Dutton. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Yes. Rip. Rip. Oh I remember gosh. when when Christmas was happening and all the shirts were coming out. That's it. All I want for Christmas is rip. I was like, yes. Yes. <laughs> so I watched 1883, all this, and I'm watching them and they're pioneers and and you know, their biggest issue is like, am I going to make it on the Oregon trail? And I'm like, I start thinking to myself, wow, they must have had a lot of herpes outbreaks because they are stressed, right? You don't know what's going to get you. And I wonder back then, you know, there's the saloons, prostitution is legal. And I'm like, gosh, was it a big deal to have herpes? I doubt it. It's just, it must be something that everybody had. Or you go back to the courtesan era in Italy and where, where prostitution was legal. And I'm like, gosh, I wonder if that was a big deal. I doubt it because everybody must have had it. I yeah, don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And now we've turned, you know, post uh, Puritan culture and, and sex be made bad and wrong. And I mean, goodness, there's, this is a cross culture, um, across um, ethnicity, across, you know, like, like I think about sex being taboo, the just the general notion of sex being taboo, and it's all across the world. And I mean, there's there's only certain little pockets that feel particularly sex positive, but even still, that doesn't mean that it's void of shame or void of of negative or ill feelings towards the act itself and what it means about the person and all of that. And so I feel like, you know, of course, we have in a lot of ways made it into this big scary thing. Um, in in I would imagine for many reasons in hopes that it would deter us from having the sex right. as young people or casual sex as adults. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and, you know, you can go back to the scarlet letter. You can go back to religion. I mean, living in the United States, our country is formed on Christian, the Bible basis, whether we believe it or not, whether right. we grew up in a religious home or not, it's what our country is founded on. And so those 
rules or expectations have been passed down. Again, whether we believe it or not, it's just, it's around us. So it's, and it's really unfortunate. And and it's really unfortunate because it just adds this whole thing, even, even in a, let's say you're doing it right, you're married, whatever, it still adds this huge stigma in, in, in a marriage of, or expectation or this like false expectation of what sex is. And I like to use the example, you know, if you, when you have a 16 year old, you don't just hand them the keys on their 16th birthday and say, go for it, have fun, go out on the freeway, go, go, Mm -hmm. right. You've worked with them for the last year, hopefully onto how to drive a car. And with sex, we just say, don't do it. 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 But if you do do it, don't get it. Don't get pregnant. Don't get a girl pregnant and just use a condom. There's no explanation on anything. And, and it's, it's really unfortunate because sex is a really important thing. And, and I noticed, I started thinking about this as a mom, because I teach my son everything, you know, how do you go to the bathroom? How do you wash your hands? How do you everything? But I'm not going to teach him how to have sex. Right. So again, you just kind of throw our youth out there. And so that's using the example of our teenagers now are, are getting HSV one genitally. And they're like, how did this happen? And a lot of them are saying like, I'm still a virgin. Like I've never had penetrative sex. How did this happen? How did I get an STD? And, and so we have to go back to it. And so just to give a little background on, on HSV or herpes simplex virus for people that are listening and they're like, what is HSV? Or I don't have herpes. I get cold sores, but that's not herpes. So just to give a, a quick background. Thank you. HSV, I was going to ask it. Yep. Herpes simplex virus. There's actually hundreds of different herpes viruses like chickenpox, Epstein-Barr are all in the herpes family. But specifically what we're talking about is HSV-1 and HSV-2. So oral herpes or genital herpes. HSV-1 is most common oral. Um, Roughly two out of three people have HSV-1, which is a lot. So for anybody that's like, oh, I've never come across it or I've never seen it or I've never, if you've kissed more than three people, and that can be an innocent kiss with a grandma. It can be whatever. Um, you've kissed someone with oral herpes. It's just, it's statistically not possible. And the reason why, in my opinion, it's so prominent on our mouth, HSV-1 is more prominent than HSV-2 is because we use our mouths. And I don't mean that sexually, like our mouths are exposed. We, we at certain cultures, you know, kiss on the cheek when they say hello. We share, we share things, we share drinks, we share cigarettes, we share whatever it is. So our mouths are just much more prominent. We play with our hands. We touch the, you know, that happens. HSV2 is one out of six people. So that is most commonly associated with genital herpes. Again, it's less common because again, we're not using our genitals as much, right? Like they're, even if we are extremely sexually active, our genitals are not exposed all day long, right? So there's, there's less time for it to transmit. But that doesn't mean HSV-1 stays genitally and HSV-2 stays orally. They can inter-switch. So for example, if you have oral sex, let's say your partner has HSV-2 genital and you have oral sex with your partner, you can end up getting HSV-2 on your mouth. And vice versa, you have HSV-1 oral and have oral sex with a partner. That partner can end up getting HSV-2 on his or her genitals. So uh, there's just a lot it can go either way. Uh, for a long time, people weren't testing. They say, oh, you have it up here. It's HSV-1. You have it down there. It's HSV-2. And there was no testing done. So they just assumed. And now, you know, but the good news is, is when you are getting diagnosed, they are at least testing you for what type you have, which that is news. You can be aware of that. There's a lot of people living with herpes that, and maybe they know. And, and here's the thing that's frustrating, especially for someone like me that is like, I just want to get the information out. We may think we're being responsible, sexually active adults. And what I mean by that is very similar to you were saying, Alexa, is when you started dating your husband, you're like, look, if we're going to do this, we're going to go get tested. Most people aren't doing that. Most of the people have the conversation that's like, hey, you good? Yeah, I'm good. (laughs) Cool. All right, we're good. Something along those lines. And even if you do go to the next level of getting tested, herpes is not included in the STI panel. So even you, though you think I'm being responsible, I'm going to go get tested. You say, test me for everything. I want an STD test. Cool. They do not include herpes. 
And I can't tell you how many hundreds of people I have talked to that are like, I got tested. I had my partner get tested. We got tested and it wasn't included. I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a really important thing that, that you just shared there at the end. And I, and I had that in my back pocket too, because I, several years ago, went into Planned Parenthood in New Orleans when I was living at home many years ago and went in to get tested and asked for you know a full panel. Because I'm like, well, I guess that's the way to describe it. And, and, and then I noticed that herpes wasn't on it. And, and they said herpes is additional. And so it was like, I don't know, a hundred bucks or it was like something, something around the hundred dollar range. And I don't know what it is now um, for, you know, syphilis, chlamydia, gonorrhea, and, and even um, HIV and, and whatever else they were testing for. And then it was like 80 something dollars for the herpes one to add that one on top of it. I was like, this is almost as much as the rest of the testing. And, and then the response back was, well, we don't include it. And it was something to the effect of like, you know, if you don't have an outbreak, then then it's not worth testing for something. It was something crazy like that. Like, like the information back was, you know, we don't, we don't test unless you specifically ask for it. And that there's some psychosomatic, this is what I gathered from the conversation, that there's some psychosomatic component where it's, if you've never had an outbreak, and but then you are told that you have herpes, that it will cause... It uh-huh. will cause the outbreak for some uh-huh. people that they'll be thinking about it and they'll be worried about it and it will stress them and then it will cause it mm-hmm. to express. Mm-hmm. And so in some ways I'm like, this feels irresponsible. And in some ways I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. Right. So like both sides, you know, I look at it in the sense of, well, in the medical community, it's not a big deal. It's not HIV. It's not chlamydia. It's not gonorrhea. Now, like chlamydia, chlamydia, gonorrhea, those can have lifelong effects on people if they don't get it treated and they're not aware of it. You know, think about it in your twenties. And and HSV, statistically, you're going to come across it. Statistically, you're probably going to end up with it. And so they're like, well, if you don't have it today, (laughs) why should I tell you? You know, if you haven't had an outbreak, if it's dormant, then why do we need to disclose? And the important thing here to remember is, is even if you don't have an active outbreak, you can still transmit herpes. It's called viral shedding. So yes, obviously when you have an active outbreak, are you the most contagious? Of course, like it's, it's an active out. I mean, you got the viral DNA just hanging out in those blisters, obviously, but the virus can shed. And when it sheds, the person is typically asymptomatic and has no idea. There's no itch. There's no tingle. There's no prodrome. There's none of those symptoms. And so the person doesn't know. And then that's when it can be transmitted. So that's why it's essential that when you are in a relationship with someone, you have that conversation, whether you have an outbreak or don't have an outbreak. And another segue into condoms and why people are like, well, I don't have an outbreak. And I, you know, I just used a condom. It's fine. And may or may not be, and I can use myself as an example. I get herpes outbreaks on my tailbone. It's a really random spot. It didn't start out there. It's just kind of where it's migrated to over the years. So I could use a condom all I want, but that condom isn't going to prevent my tailbone coming into contact with my husband. Right. And a lot of people will get outbreaks, you know, on their mom's pubis. So the pubic bone or like let's say in the groin area, things like that. It's not directly on. So if you say like using a condom, a condom only covers the shaft of the penis and doesn't cover any of the other skin. And people don't piece this together oftentimes, but I, you know, there's probably going to be a number of people that are listening to this and are like, oh shit, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, You know, like they've never had to think about it or they've never, you know, gone there in their mind to think about that. This is the one that's, that a condom's not going to prevent transmission. Like I said, I talked to teenagers that are like, I never had sex. How did I get this? And I've also talked to people that are like, I've used a condom every single time. How did I get this? Right, right. Herpes can be really anywhere on your body. And I'll get into that in a second. But when we talk about genital herpes, we hear, oh, it's on the vagina. It's on the penis. It's it's in that area. No, it can be kind of anywhere in that box or region. It can be on your hamstring. It could be on your inner thigh. It can be underneath your belly button. It can be anywhere. And for women... This is my own personal take. There there have been some articles written on it, but nothing scientific. Women that shave, wax, whatever we do down there are more likely to get STIs. And I'm specifically saying herpes. That hair is there for a reason. It's there to protect you. So for more women than men have herpes. And my opinion of that is, is because we groom and we wax. And so had that hair been there, it may have protected us from Mm. that skin to skin. 
Sex and Love Co. is officially back in bed with Yoni Pleasure Palace. We really are a match made in heaven. YPP continuously amazes me. Once a company known for their Yoni eggs and crystal pleasure wands, they have grown into a truly remarkable brand with many services and additional products like glass, steel, and wood pleasure tools for those of you who like a more natural element in your toy collection, as well as waterproof sex blankets. You know, that's one of my faves. Yoni steam herbs and stools strap-on harnesses, specialty vibrators, anal toys and prostate massagers, water and oil-based lubricants, breast massage oil, menstrual products, and so much more. If you can believe, I have quite a collection of things that fall under the category of adult products. By far, the most impressive part of my collection are the items I have by Yoni Pleasure Palace. Every purchase I make or gift that I give from YPP has an element of sacredness to it, and that truly takes them above and beyond any other brand I've tried or that I've worked with. I've got great news, my love. With our recent recommitment and partnership, Yoni Pleasure Palace has increased my code, that sex chick, from taking 10% off of your order to 15% off your entire YPP purchase. Hell yes. So head to the link in the show notes to add Yoni Pleasure Palace to your collection. And don't forget to use the promo code ThatSexChick at checkout for 15% off your entire order. So kind of shifting a little bit to get a little more personal, why is this so important to you? So I was diagnosed, I was 28 years old and was, I was dating someone, you know, we had the conversation, Hey, you good. I got tested right before. Um, and he goes, yeah, I got, I get tested and, and okay, great. So we come intimate, have sex, whatever we're dating. And about six weeks into having sex, I'm like, this is not right. Something's not right you know? And anyways, it was herpes. As as we know, it was HSV2 genital. And when that happened, I was, again, I said I was 28 years old. I was on this trajectory of, okay, you go to college, you get good grades, you graduate, you get the right job, you date the right guys, and you're going to propel your life. And this is just what you're going to do. And I was still in that, I was still very green, very in that, like, I don't know what I'm doing yet, but I think I'm on the right path. And when I found this out, I was devastated. I was wounded. I was, you know, shot through the heart. I I was embarrassed. I was angry. I was envious of people that didn't have it. And when I'm like, I did it right. I was with a boyfriend. It wasn't even a one night stand. Like what is going on? It was so envious. And I went into what I like to call the Eeyore phase. Mm -hmm. Eeyore and Winnie the Pooh has the yeah. rain cloud over him. He never lo- leaves, like the rain cloud never leaves him. And that was me. And I was there until I was about 30. And if I go back and look at pictures, I mean, I just, I looked gray, even though I'm not gray, I'm Greek. So I have that like olive skin, but I was gray. Like there was no pink in my, my color. And I, I hated men. I was, you know, self-loathing all this. And so what I realized is this was in 2011, just to give people a reference. So there was no information out there other than Planned Parenthood, CDC, and WebMD. And those resources, were, while they are informative, there's no tangible, oh, wait, cool, I got the bullet points, but how do I live my life? How do I go on and date? How do I disclose? Can I date? Do I have to be celibate? Do I have to just wait for someone that also has herpes? Like all these things that become overwhelming and terrifying. And the interesting thing is, is I knew what herpes was. I taught sex ed in, in the nineties through Planned Parenthood. I knew, I knew about getting tested. I knew that herpes wasn't included in the SDI panel. I knew all of that yet. I still got it right. Because you just don't think you're like, it's not going to happen to me because it's just not going to happen to me. Like I'm not that person that gets it. It's just not going to happen. So anyways, I realized it wasn't until 2017 that I spoke publicly on it. And when I did the first time I spoke publicly on it, I was like, oh my gosh, I need to do this because there's no one talking about it. People are in their EOR phase. And as I continued on and since 2017, obviously I've talked to thousands of people, millions of people have seen my videos, you know, millions and millions and millions of downloads I've had since 2017. And I've talked to people that are like, I've never gone swimming with my kids because I thought it would transmit in the pool. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I talked to a woman who she has children 
and they wanted, she and her husband wanted to um, adopt or foster. I can't remember which one. And so they have to go through like a medical record. And she's like, I'm going to pull it out because I, she just, she just found out she had herpes in her marriage. And I can do that in a second. And she pulled out her paperwork to adopt. And I'm like, no, no, like that baby needs you. So it's just people put their life on hold because of the stigma that we were talking about in the beginning. What is it? Where does it come from? And it's just because sex is so taboo, it's not talked about. It's not talked about how common it is. It's not talked about how many people have it. It's not talked about what it is, what it's not. And so people just go through life. Like can't go forward. I can't, I got to withdraw. And we self-sabotage and we create, we become the scarlet letter or we we create, we become our own leper and we create our own glass ceilings. So back to, I mentioned that particular situation I'm talking about. And she found out in her marriage, I can't tell you how many people find out in their marriage and they've been monogamous. So the herpes virus, as you were talking earlier, can be dormant. You would have picked it up in your twenties, in your teens, whatever, never had an outbreak or had such a minor outbreak. You didn't even notice it. And then a decade later, it's like, hi. I just want you to know I'm here, right? So there's tons of people that they don't know they have it because they're never tested for it. And then it pops up and you're like, where did this come from? So talk to people in their marriages that are in their 60s that have been married since they're in their early 20s and it just pops up. And they're like, where did this come from? I've talked to people in their 80s. They're like, where did this come from? So it it doesn't, yeah. It doesn't seem <laughs> to have a rhyme or a reason. It just is. No. It's exactly, is. that's exactly how I would describe it. Just pops up. Just pops up. It's like, yeah, yeah. I was in the kitchen the other day and I was like cooking or something and I like licked over my lip and mm. was like, Ooh. what's happening here? Yeah. And I like looked at my husband. I was like, is my lip red? And he goes, yeah, it's a little red. I went, fuck. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and I know that the oral doesn't necessarily have the the stigma as the genital. And I still got teased growing up. Yeah, I'm you sure. know, as soon as a kid learned that it was herpes, then it was mm-hmm. like, oh, you have herpes in your face and and still got teased, you know, and, mm-hmm. and growing up. And I've had to, um, and this might be a little bit too graphic, but Jordan climbed into the shower with me the other day and he goes, how about you get on your knees? And I went, oh, no. And he goes, oh, shit. I was like, no. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, no, no, don't do that. I was like, yeah, no, oh, that's yeah. not going to happen for like a little while. <laughs> yeah. You know, like totally forgot that 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 was uh, there. there. Yeah, that that was there and I'm like, "No, I don't I don't want this there." <laughs> right. You know, only just for the sheer like this doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good. So I can only imagine, you know, having it in another location where it doesn't feel good. Like at least this is not rubbing up against well, I would say on my mouth and I'm gesturing to my mouth. I'm moving my mouth and this is preventing me from smiling fully. Not so much now, but a couple of days ago, I could barely move my bottom lip and it's always in the bottom lip and always in the general kind of like same area. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I think about in the general area where it's like rubbing up against clothes or Mm -hmm. underwear and you can't work out and just the general feeling like, Mm -hmm. let's go, let's, I would love to share with people like how they could know that that might be coming on. You know, like, what are some of the symptoms? What does it look like? And what are the, what are the phases? Cause I know it goes through some, some stages, you know, it's yep. got like its whole debut and its act. And it, I you know. know it does have its own act. <laughs> yeah. It's a very smart, sneaky virus. And it's just to give us a little background on it too. I called a viral specialist, a PhD in virology that specialized in HSV and HIV. He was at the Salk Center in UCSD in San Diego, and he got very excited to talk about it because nobody ever wants to talk to someone about HIV or HSV. (laughs) But I asked him and I was like, dude, who's the asshole that started this whole thing? Like, is there like one person we can pinpoint and, and like the asshole he's, he's like, no, he goes, every species has herpes, every vertebrate, every living vertebrate species. So dolphins, giraffes, tigers, whatever we want to say, they have their own herpes type. They have their own strand. They have their own, they get herpes. We can't transmit, like I can't transmit herpes to my dog or anything like that. And we can't get dog herpes. But um, anyways, every living vertebrate has it. So so just to give us all a background that like, we're not the only species and there is no asshole that started it. It's just part of living life is how he explained it. So prodrome is what the word is for herpes outbreaks coming on. 
And the prodrome can be different for everybody. Some people can have no signs, no symptoms. And all of a sudden there's just like a blister. Some people start, it starts going, oh, I feel so run down. I'm just exhausted today. I don't know why I'm so exhausted. I just, I just want to sleep. Other people have flu-like symptoms, just like my body is achy. I hope I'm not coming down with something. A lot of times it can be the swollen lymph nodes, just the big old lymph nodes that you're like, oh, what is going on here? I have some big lymph nodes. So that can be like the precursor. Then for some people, it can be an itch. And it's an itch, in my opinion, that you just can't get. No matter how you move, you just can't seem to get the itch. It's almost an internal itch. I also can describe an itch that's like a spider walking on your skin. That's kind of the tingle that you hear about people that get herpes. It's like a tingle and it just almost feel like a spider walking on your skin. You're like, oh, I can't have to get that. Herpes lives in our nerves. It lives in our nervous system. So HSV-1 specifically lives more or less kind of along the neck and jawline in in our spine. So just kind of in that area. HSV-2 lives down our our back, kind of in the sacrum area, the the, the the bottom of our back. And so what happens when it's like, hey, I want to show up. I'm ready for my act. (laughs) I love how you describe that. It kind of w- wakes up, goes along the nerves, and it, it can feel like a shock. For me, it's like a lightning bolt. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that, that feels like something's happening. So it can also just be like the skin is tender. Why is the skin tender there? Maybe I need some lotion or why is the skin tender? It can also feel like a hot spot. Um, I like to use the example of, you know, you snap a rubber band on your arm. You, it's kind of like leaves a hot spot for a minute. Kind of like that. So, and or other people can have nerve pain. They can have it down their back, down their legs, down to their feet. I just have nerve pain. It's just like sensitive to touch. So those can all be precursors to getting an outbreak. In the, that time frame, that time period, you may be contagious. You don't, you're not going to know if you're contagious or not. So I'd recommend that you do have those like tinglies or itchies. Then just abstain from skin to skin contact with that area. That's also a really good time to amp up your immunity because the virus likes to show up when your immune system's down. So either you're burning the candle from both ends. A lot of women get it hormonally when they have periods. They can get it like right before their period, right after their period, or when they ovulate. So it can be the hormone hormone ups and downs. Uh, so that's a good time to, uh, for example, lysine, which is a natural, it's an essential amino acid. It's a protein that the herpes virus hates. So you can up that at that time, anything that you like to do to boost your immune system. Maybe you can do some meditations. Maybe you can visualize it leaving your body. Maybe I'm looking outside. Maybe you can just like walk barefoot, do a little grounding, like anything you can do to calm your nervous system is going to help, you know, exponentially. So anything you can do to do those things, if you do want to take the prescription and there is an antiviral, some people take it daily. Other people will never take it. It's not right or wrong. It's, it's works for you. If you want to take it, taking it early is going to be really helpful in preventing the outbreak, either lessening the duration or even preventing the outbreak. So those are just some things that we can do. As you may know, not only am I a sex, love, dating, and relationship coach, but I also teach other coaches this niche craft. The Sex and Love co-team and I have now run our signature coaching program, Sex Coach Prep School, for over three years and have helped over a hundred coaches develop new skills while learning how to run a successful coaching business. The program has evolved from a 12-week program to a four-month program to a seven-month program, which is when I realized this isn't really a prep school anymore. So we decided to make some changes, make the program a little lighter, and build in everything you need to know in order to determine if sex and love coaching is the right career move for you. So Sex Coach Prep School is now a six-week program covering topics like sex education, relationship structures, coaching tools to use when working with clients, and so much more. Starting in June 2023, SCPS now includes three live virtual sessions, six modules, 22 educational videos, exclusive private Facebook group access to our students, a one-on-one support call with one of our Sex and Love Co-team members, access to two additional bonus business-related offers, lifetime access to the Sex Coach Prep School program, and a community of sex and love coaches to lean on and learn from. 
SCPS is also a great program if you are already a coach who wants to add some additional intimacy skills to your coaching tool belt. And if you're ready to change your life and are all in on up-leveling your coaching career, our larger and more extensive program, now called Sex and Love University, is coming in fall 2023. Side perk, go through the new and improved Sex Coach Prep School and your investment counts as credit towards SLU. Check out the link in the show notes to learn more about becoming a sex love and or relationship coach and completely and totally changing your life this year. And then the actual blister that forms, it goes through, it has a moment too. It like, I, I try to describe this to Jordan where I'm like, well, it's going to look like a bump, like, like just like a little area that's raised and red and doesn't feel good. And then it's going to look like a booger <laughs> and then it's going to look like a blister and then a blister, it's going to look like a blister and then a booger and then it's going to crust off. And then it's, then I'm going to like accidentally smile or like hit it with my tongue and then it's going to bleed and it's going to have all these phases. And then eventually it's going to like kind of heal over and look a little bit like a scar for the, like maybe half of a week. And then, and then I'll have my lip back. Yeah. Yeah. It's so weird. What's also really interesting and why it gets misdiagnosed 90% of the people with genital herpes don't know they have it. Yeah. That's a huge, huge number. The same. They're different kinds of blisters, right? No, I would say they're very similar. Yeah. Well, well, there's, there's different types of blisters. And for someone that has them in both locations, I can say that they're, they're similar for me, for my body, but they can be a paper cut. So it can just be a little paper cut. And you can think like, gosh, I just had this little paper cut. It must've been from sex or my, I had a lace thong on or or my jeans must've hit. A razor and it can just be a little paper cut. It can be one blister, just one little blister, or it can be a cluster. And so it can maybe start off as like two or three blisters and then like combined together as one big blister. Glob of blister. A glob. And the way that you can kind of tell the difference between say a zit or, or blister is these are really hard to pop. It'd be extremely painful to pop and it's fluid, not like a zit is like pus. Yeah. This is fluid. Like think about a blister on the back of your heel. There's fluid in there. So it's, it's so it's a, painful. And it's so painful because it's nerves. Right. Right. Well, I mean, I'm even thinking of like, you know, new shoes at Disney World kind of situation. Worse. Yeah. 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 Worse than blister. that. <laughs> yeah. I like to think of like in Snow White with the old lady with the, the blistered hands with the apple. It's kind of like that. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So while it's super common and some people are going to be affected by it more than others, you Uh know, I've, I've experienced, I've, I've spoken with people that have it and kind of think that their outbreaks are no big deal. And then I've had, then I've spoken with people that are like, these are incredibly painful. And then I've spoken with people that have them every once in a blue moon, like very few and far between. And then I speak with people that are like every couple of months, you know, Uh that they're, that they're struggling with it and for whatever their reason. So I'd love to, I guess, maybe shift a little bit more into like, how do people communicate and manage maybe specifically for, cause you know, you've touched on, on people in partnerships and it just being like, wow, we're 60 and here we go. Um, this, right. Yeah. Right. What about for people, you know, managing outbreaks, managing, well, I guess it's like a twofold question. Okay. So the first is like navigating and managing, getting the diagnosis itself. Yeah. And then in partnership, you know, wanting to be in partnership, maybe dating, or this even comes up in, in a relationship where it's like, wow, my partner's going to think that I cheated on them. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, Mm -hmm. you know, like I can imagine that I can imagine my partner cheating on me. Or is my partner cheating on me? Oh, that motherfucker. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah. And maybe none of those things are true. Right. So I would say regardless when we have our personal 9-11, right? This was like a shock. This was, I never thought this would happen to me. We have our own personal crisis. Before we had it, we had a preconceived notion about what someone was like or what they would do. You know what I mean? Like I've never been diagnosed with cancer. I plan on not being diagnosed with cancer, but I don't know that much about it. I have an idea now of what that is, but if I were to get the diagnosis, I would be like, now what? So my, I would recommend educating yourself. What is this? What is herpes? What is what isn't herpes? What because again, there's so many myths and you know, ah, this is what it is, is what isn't, you know, there's always myths out there. So I would educate yourself, number one. Number two, I would find a community of people that have it and are going through it. I it's great to, to rely on a group of friends or family, but if those people do not have herpes, 
they may not understand what you're going through. And while it's great to have those people in your life, I still recommend finding a community, people you fit with that have it. So that's number one when you're diagnosed. Because the more you educate yourself on something and you learn, you're like, whoa, I didn't realize that 80% of the population has herpes. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that, you know, using a condom wasn't going to protect me. Whoa, I didn't know that. I didn't know that getting tested for STIs, herpes wasn't included. Oh, okay. I didn't know that it could be dormant in my system for the last 10 years, five years, 20 years. Oh, I didn't know that. So when you educate yourself, you learn. So you can stop pointing the finger at a spouse, partner, yourself. Um, The way that we heal with this and get out of the Eeyore phase, and it's, it's something that the practice may be daily. You may have to come back to it once you think you're through it. But I like to say, practice forgiveness. Practice forgiveness to your partner, whether your partner knew or did not know, you still have to forgive that partner. And then you have to forgive yourself, right? You have to forgive yourself for saying, ah, I shouldn't have gone to the bar that night. Oh, I knew better. I should have made my partner get tested. I shouldn't have, right? We keep shooting ourselves and we need to stop that. And then the second part of that is take responsibility. So I chose to be intimate with this person. I chose to whatever. I chose to go to the bar that night. I These were my decisions that I made. And I made a decision based on what I thought was the best decision at that time. And that was my decision. So, so again, we just need to practice forgiveness and then take responsibility. Back to navigating and dating and and things like that. Once we've gotten through the forgiveness and responsibility and we can start to know what herpes is and we're ready to get back out there, I recommend, and very similar to exactly what you did, Alexa, is when you're ready to be intimate with somebody, that's when you have the conversation. So I really invite people to set their boundaries because, you know, we can get there and you're, it's like going to the grocery store hungry. You don't do that. (laughs) You don't go hungry. I do. And it's bad. (laughs) I'm like, I I open like three of the things before I even get to the checkout and I have way too much stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We've all done that. But again, if if your expectations, if your boundaries in in a relationship are, we are going to get tested, either we're going to go down there together as a first date or I want to see your paperwork, whatever, then that is your boundary. And if your partner's like, eh, I don't want to do it, then you have to know that to be ready to walk away. So whatever works for you, you set up your own boundaries. You also set up, ex- again, expectations. Are we monogamous? Are we not monogamous? Am I monogamously sleeping with you, but also not monogamously dating? Are we monogamously dating and sleeping together? Are we, what are we? And just have those conversations too. Because if we think, well, I don't want to have that conversation because I don't want to sound like needy or no, you need to decide what works for your body and your life and your lifestyle. So there's no right or wrong here. But again, be prepared that if that person is like, ah, well, yeah, well, I'm kind of monogamous. No, that doesn't work for you. That doesn't work. Okay. So set those up first. Then those conversations can go into, Hey, it's really important to me that we talk about sexual health. It's really important to me that we get tested or whatever your boundaries are. And, you know, I can tell you, I've been recently tested. I've been negative for these things. I'm positive for HSV one, two, whatever it is. And the reason why it's really important for me to, for us to get tested is number one, it's not included in the, the STI panel. So I've talked to lots of people that go and get tested and they find out they have it and they didn't know. Um, or number two, there's other things that can be dormant and I don't want to be another STD. And if I can prevent that, and I'm not accusing you of having one, but these things lie dormant and we just don't know. So that's how we have those conversations. I think some people, you know, and I'm sure that you've heard this question before and you run a community space online, which I would love to hear a little bit more mm-hmm. about in a, in a moment, because, you know, you mentioned like having people to turn to that understand you and have been yeah. where you are. And so I'll loop back around to that. But this, the question of like, when's the right time to disclose the information? Do I just disclose it right away and kind of nip it in the bud? Or do I wait until we're going to be intimate? Do I try to, do I want to connect emotionally first? And, um, you know, I think that, that it's like a a pretty heavily nuanced kind of situation Mm -hmm. and every person is different. 
And what I've gathered over time, though, is somewhere around the sooner, the better. Somewhere around there. Just by people's reaction and response and storytelling. And I don't know, I would love to hear, you know, what what you've gathered over over the years and seeing it. But, uh, you know, to be able to have that convert, I mean, it's just kind of wild because, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of the people that I have closest with, closest to me that I communicate regularly about this. And it's, um, I think the, the, where the conversation goes is why I would, this is a big part of my life and it plays a role in my life. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to, almost like pull a fast one on them, you know, where it's like, I, I tried to be all these things myself, emotional, like I wanted to connect emotionally and wanted to get to know each other and all these things. And then we're about to be intimate. And then I drop this bomb on them to some people. It's a bomb. And to some people, it's just a little piece of information. They're like, okay, cool. You know, like, would it be better that I know how they feel about it pretty early on? That way I could say, you know, what questions do you have? You want to think about it, that kind of thing. And I just have someone who is so close to me that recently delivered the information so pretty early on, but still had like a couple dates. And I think it was on maybe second or third date. I was like, I want to disclose this. You know, I want to share this information with you. And their reaction to her wasn't very kind. I say it wasn't very kind. It wasn't that it wasn't very kind. I, from what I gathered, it was, um, it wasn't intimacy building, <laughs> meaning like gotcha. they were closer together. But after the conversation, he, you know, was like kind of distant and I'm not sure and left, left her feeling, you know, um, mm-hmm. hurt and that kind of thing, but then did come around and apologize and was like, I just had to think about that and process that, which is totally, you know, understandable. And I just, I would really like for more people to know how, how common this is and what the actual information is and the actual facts and what we know so that more people are met with when the information is disclosed, they're met with, okay, thank you for telling me, Mm -hmm. you know, and like, it's a casual kind of conversation and like, well, do you have any outbreaks now? And when was your last week, your last one? And how are you feeling? Okay, Mm -hmm. great. And how do you, how do you mitigate this and like what you know like what's your routine you know and then yeah. it's like okay great so i'd love to hear you know yeah that's have... kind of my little ramblings on like what i've gathered no, over the yeah. years but i'd love to hear what you've got so before i i get into that i want to talk about rejection and why it happens cuz i think this is a great segue into it rejection in my opinion happens for three reasons do you have any ideas i'm like oh we'll do a quick q and a here do you have any ideas of why rejection happens oh well this is fun why yeah. rejection happens. I don't know if I'm going to give you your exact things. Okay. Yeah. Because the other person has some stuff that's unresolved within themselves. And it's almost like mm-hmm. they're rejecting themselves via rejecting you. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if that was kind of meta. Yeah. Uh, another reason why someone might reject because it's too difficult. Mm-hmm. Like, like the easier route is to reject and move on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I'm still going. Do you want me to? Yeah, I go. I do, yeah, keep going. Keep going. These are all great. <laughs> okay. Why I might reject another person? Oh, nothing. Nothing else is immediately present. Okay. 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 So those were spot on. So I've boiled it down to these three things. Number one, the person is just not mature enough. So like you're right. saying, they're dealing with their own shit. Like they just can't. So and mature could be. You can be 15 or 55. It doesn't matter the age. Like obviously a 15 year old is going to be less mature, but, but it doesn't mean, you know, I've talked to people in their fifties and sixties and, you know, if that hasn't been resolved, like you're talking about, if something hasn't been resolved deep down, that person is not available to bring on something else. So again, they're just not emotionally mature. Number two is that person has a deep rooted belief that's never going to change. I use the example, a Catholic's never going to believe the Jewish religion. A Jew's never going to believe the Catholic religion. It's not going to change. You're not going to meet in the middle. There's one big difference there and it's not going to happen, right? So it's just some deep, deep, deep rooted belief that they're just not even open to discussing. And the third and final one, which is the one that hurts the most, that person's not into you. Period, the end. Like, and you just T-balled it And you just made it so simple for that person to reject you, right? And I can remember back when dating and if a guy would be like, oh, well, I'm going to college on the other side of the US. I'd be like, oh, darn, we'll have to break up. You know, like you make it so easy. I don't have to break up with you. You just broke up with me. You made it easy for me. So if that person rejects you, it's one of those three reasons that it happens. And the hardest to accept is he or she is not into you. 
Um, and if you think about it for any of those three reasons, whatever it may be, why would you want to be with anybody anyways? If they're not, if they're not emotionally able to handle a herpes outbreak, well, we're both married. We know there's bigger fish to fry than a herpes outbreak in a marriage, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and I, I think those things too, or it's like they, you know, when someone goes, oh, they did you a favor and it still fucking hurts, mm-hmm. you know, being rejected, no matter which way you look at it, like doesn't feel good. Like, Hurt. oh, I yeah. think I'm just going to walk out of the door today, go out into the world and see if I can get rejected. Right. No, it doesn't yeah. feel good. And I think that's when then your your personal maturity, which comes from being educated and comes from, you know, leaning on the supportive community. And like, like you were saying before, like taking care of yourself, that leads to your emotional maturity and ability to take it for what it is and not immediately, you know, spiral down, but breathe through it and go and, and find what, what the positive can be and move on. Maybe a little bit, I wouldn't say like, the, the hurt doesn't happen at all, but maybe the way that you navigate it, you know, mm-hmm. leaves you feeling empowered. Mm-hmm. Right. So when we come back to the initial question, well, one more thing on rejection, our ego is going to do everything we can to prevent us from getting rejected. So it's going to keep you in this, like, well, maybe I shouldn't date. Maybe I shouldn't go out. Maybe, no, maybe I just shouldn't. I really like this person. I'm on a date and I really like this guy. And, you know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to like disappear because I don't want to have to. So your ego is going to do everything it possibly can to keep you feeling comfortable and not being rejected. So there's a couple of reasons why we disclose upfront and get right to it. And it's because we've been so deeply wounded in the past. We don't want to feel that pain again. So we don't want to get connected to that person, whether it's conscious or subconscious, whether we know that or don't know that. Um, there's It's not right or wrong either, but just be aware if we're the person that's like, you know what? I want to disclose on the first date. I just want to get it out there or I'm going to disclose via text before we even go out. You're doing it on some level because you just don't want to get hurt even more. And it's going to hurt less if you don't know that person than if you've spent time with that person. So I would evaluate again, what is it you want out of this date? What do you want? Is this a one night stand? Is this super casual? And who cares? Who cares when you disclose? Because it's going to be super casual. You're not going to, you weren't planning on a relationship anyways. Yeah. If this is someone, yeah. Oh no, I was was going to pause for the the rest of it. More like you still disclose though. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's just, you're just talking about like when and the back and forth. It's more like it's casual. It's, it's a part of the conversation. We're just da, da, da. Yeah. If it, yeah. If it's going to be super casual, it's just a hookup and, and you're like, ah, we're just, What's the different, like, yes, the rejection hurts, but like, what, it's just casual anyways. Yeah. You but, like, weren't yeah, trying to meet their parents and right. planning out a planned. wedding and a family. My stationery for the wedding was not planned yet. Right. Exactly. exactly. Didn't have that. Right. My right. pillows were not mon- monogrammed. I got right. it. Now, <laughs> right. So as we, as we go down that path, I would say if you feel like this is something that's like, wow, I really feel this. Uh, I would personally just see, am I ready to sleep with this person? And ask yourself a couple of questions. Did I have fun with this person? And do I want to sleep with this person? And if you answer yes to both those questions, then keep going out with that person and just know that he or she has something that they need to tell you. So he or she will mention something vulnerable and that might be a good time to open it. Um, they're, they're talking, you know, they're, you get vulnerable as you go out on a couple dates, but don't feel, I love to use the example. We've seen the commercials of like the woman trying to lose weight. And they have the example of this, the scale and the ball and chain. It's like a ball and chain. And then she's like dragging the scale with her everywhere she goes. Cause she's like wanting to lose weight. You know, those types of commercials. We do that with our herpes virus. We drag it along. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm on this date and it's date number two. And I have to disclose. And it's like, you don't have to disclose unless you're ready to expose. Right. Oh, there you go. And it's going to be a little bit different for everybody. Everybody. I think you just, whatever your pain threshold or tolerance or rejection threshold or tolerance, you know, like, yeah. And that might work for some people to just like throw it out in a text ahead of time. Yeah. You know, because then they don't, yeah, yeah. The the rejection is for three reasons. Right. So, and it's regardless you. Right. Because they could see that and go, and I, okay. And let's, you know, do you want a Thai place or a Mexican place? You know, like yeah. that could be the response after like, thank you for telling me. Yeah. I had a, I had a client years and years ago that was going to meet 
um, someone that she met online and had extensive communication with online. It was finally going to meet in person and like built this emotional connection and all these things. And then the the request was testing. She had an outbreak in 17 years, like and and contracted in her marriage. And mm-hmm. he knew her previous husband knew that he had it. And she opted in like, we're getting more married. We're building a family, all these things. And wound up contracting it and hadn't had an outbreak. And I think it was like a really long time since like the initial outbreak happened. Mm-hmm. And she was terrified to tell this mm-hmm. new partner. Mm-hmm. Um, and his response was, okay, thank you for telling me. Do you have an outbreak now? No. How do you feel? Really great. Okay, great. Will you tell me if something, if you start feeling low, you feel down, or if you feel like any of the symptoms, tingles or whatever, because mm-hmm. he was an experienced partner. Like he was experienced in the lifestyle, experienced in non-monogamy, experienced in like BDSM and just like dating culture of like, there's lots of people having these conversations and in order for us to all feel safe and to get our, you know, to get our rocks off and all that, like we've got to be able to communicate. And she'd never been interacted with like that and was just mm-hmm. like, oh. oh, and like, <sighs> relax. Yeah. Uh, which is so, so wild. And and again, like, I think that these conversations are helping to lead more people to be right. that way, but it's going to take practice, you know, right. it's going to take practice. It's going to ha- take like having these conversations more. And I think even for those that have herpes, having more conversations with people that they're not trying to sleep with, you know, like friends and, right. and, and just like getting them comfortable and practicing, you know, to where it's like, yeah. you're saying it more than just like, you haven't said it in a long time and you're finally on a date and then you've got to disclose it, but you haven't spoken about it or to anyone about it in six plus months, you know, it's potentially going right. to feel really fresh and hard. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, I would love kind of as our, our rounding out of this convo, um, mm-hmm. which I've loved so much, you know, basic kind of like viral education and what um, is how it? people what manage. Is it yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then like how people interact with it and how many people have it and all that. I've loved that. Now I love if you could share a little bit about your community space and the ways that being public about having herpes has impacted your business? Because I know that you mentioned before where it's like you get this diagnosis and you're like, my whole life is ending. What Uh the fuck? And that's not what happened. No. I mean, it was for a couple of years until I I worked through it all. So as I mentioned earlier, when when you go through this this trauma, this shock, whatever it is, we're specifically talking about a herpes diagnosis, but educate yourself. Like I said, educate and find a community. And that's one of the things that I found was lacking because nobody talked about it. Did I have friends that had it that had told told me along the way? Yeah, but I wasn't going to call and mention that I had it. Like I didn't want them to know I had it too. You know, all those things. So I created Life with Herpes. The idea behind it was, as I mentioned, the websites that were out there were sterile. It was bullet points and you're a statistic and here you go. And so I wanted to create something that was so life, lifestyle, colorful, happy, Let's get through this. And so I do have an online community. It is, uh, they're so awesome in that community. Like they're friends. They check in on each other. We meet twice a week live. We have live calls twice a week. I mean, and these people like look, we like all look forward to our calls because we are friends. We become friends and family. And even if you're not specifically dealing with a brand new diagnosis. The beautiful thing is you have people in there that are in their 60s, in their 50s, in their 40s that are like, I've had this since I was 19. And you know what? Let me walk you through it. I I was where you were. So I just, I love that about the community. If you have herpes and you're like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? I don't know. What do I need to know? I have if you go to outbreakremedies.com, I have a free 21 page ebook where you can download soup to nuts, A to Z. It's what is herpes? What is not herpes? Herpes foods that can, foods for, to prevent outbreaks, foods that can encourage outbreaks, some remedies, some supplements, some all sorts of things. So I do have that created. It's like I said, it's a free download and I probably have, well, I've been talking about this since 2017. So I have thousands of videos, YouTube, lifewithherpes.com. I mean, I have a podcast. I mean, Whatever your your vice is, if you are, I'm a podcast listener, great. If you're a, I'm a YouTube watcher, great. If you're a TikToker, great. If you're an Instagrammer, great. Pinterest, I got you. So I could support you on that. So good. Great. Thank you so much for doing this work, for, for heeding the call, which I imagine was not an easy call to heed no, originally. It was not. Uh, yeah. And and I'm I'm always so grateful for people who 
get that, you know, like, oh man, I'm, I'm supposed to talk. I was like, I'm supposed to talk about what God, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, why am I doing like this? universe, right. like, what are you, where are you leading me why to? Why do you want me to do this? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, I always joke about the fact that I have a brand and a business that's all about sex and of course, intimacy at large, but you know, it's that sex chick and it has been for many years in my very, you know, Southern Louisiana Catholic mom, when I originally am starting this, she's like, I, can you do anything else, please? You yeah, know, yeah, like I yeah, joke about yeah. it now. She's like totally down and understands the whole gig now, but, but it's just like, how did my life lead me here? But at the same time, it's so rewarding and so fulfilling to be able to help people set themselves free. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. Right. So right. that they can have the love that they want so that they can have the intimacy that they want, the sex that they want, which is a human yes. biological need, you know, to feel exactly. that connection and sex is not just for procreation. Shocker. Right. It's yeah. for so many other things. And so, you know, for the work that you're doing, that I'm doing, that other people in the in the education space, intimacy education space, it's like the gift that we get, you know, by continuing to right. heed the call and continue showing up and growing the communities right. and having the businesses and all of that. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for taking the time, coming onto the show, sharing your story, your wisdom, your knowledge, and of course, your access points for people who are a part of my community to be able to reach out and find community in yours if they need that Absolutely. in their lives. Absolutely. All right, loves. That's another episode of That Sex Chick. Rate and review. Reach out to me if there is a subject that we haven't covered on the show. You know, the show has been going on for over two years now and we are at, I think about 600,000 downloads. And that's really exciting that it's continuously growing and that we're gaining Great. many more community members and listeners and all that. And so if there's something that we haven't touched on, please reach out to me because no stone left unturned over here at That Sex Chick. And um, I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. If you loved it, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a new episode. And if you extra, extra loved it, make sure to leave a five-star review. I'll see y'all next week.